Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast with two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I am your host, Winter Burns, and I'm my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? Going pretty good, man. We're real good. That's good, man. It's just, uh, it got, we got a special guest tonight, um, Alfred Morris, a running back for the New York Giants. Um, he's played college football at Florida Atlantic and was drafted by the Washington Redskins in the sixth round of the 2012 draft. Um, previously played for the 49ers, Cowboys, and Cardinals. But Alfred, thank you so much for being on. This is a pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, um, in the first half, we're going to get into a few college and NFL topics. And in the second half, we're going to do a, a record Ralph review. Um, but to start it off with the first topic, do you think college athletes should be compensated? Um, and, and when you look at college a- athletics, it's always been less than a, a nonprofit enterprise, but is you know, actually in- industry kind of exploiting its workers. And even removing the NCAA restrictions on endorsements would almost have kind of a winner-take-all dynamic among universities um, but to you, Alfred, like from your perspective, what what, do, what is your view on just this conversation of should college athletes be compensated? I think they should be compensated without a doubt. Um, like you said, they, they say it's not for profit, but uh, the NCAA makes billions off all the college students. And I think the least they can do is to compensate them. And I feel like a lot of the rules and regulations that were set up previously actually hinder uh, athletes, like say, if there was a, a drawing for a 27-inch TV at a basketball game, I wouldn't be able to, because of rules and but I wouldn't be able to enter that draw. And if I won, I would be violating the NCAA rules, which I would be, you know, I could get um, suspensions amongst other things uh, for doing that. And I feel like that hinders us. So I feel like I have a fair chance to win it just like anybody else. But I kind of get the other argument as well that, this could be unfair. They could like skew it so that you could win. But I feel like if it's, mm. it's clear, set up, and fair that the winners randomly selected for sure, then I don't see why we can't do things like that. Um, so they didn't make it hard, but I, I definitely think they should be compensating these athletes, uh, especially football players, because yeah, usually you know, the football it's players uh, nothing yeah. against any other other <clears throat> other sports, but football players we normally you know bring in some of the biggest chunks. Say, we've been at FAU, I wasn't at a big school, so when we play the Alabamas, you know, we play the Florida States, those type of teams, we actually get paid to play those teams, and it brings in revenue for the university. And usually, we do not see you know any revenue, but they get that revenue based off our talents, our skills, our efforts. You know, going out to day in and day out not just on mm-hmm. game days. And I really think that um, the least they could do is to compensate, you know, the athletes uh, accordingly. Um, and not, not skew because if you're, you know, a top player compared to a, a walk-on, I feel like it should, you know, be comparable across the board. Not like, well, the top guy gets, you know, X amount and the low guy gets a smaller amount. I don't think that's fair, but I do think right. there are a lot of uh, costs that are not covered with our scholarships. And there are certain times that the scholarship is not even kicked in. Usually during the summers, the summers, uh, the amounts are a lot lower than they would be during the fall and spring semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Savon, to you, like in terms of this <clears throat> this conversation, like you, you, I look back at 2013 when Shabazz Napier, you know, they they win the national championship at UConn and he has the the just the conversation about, you know, he went to, to, to bed starving and, and some nights it just, you know, it, it wasn't the type of lifestyle people just viewed as it was, even though he was a big time player. Um, but kind of like, what are your overall thoughts on just this conversation of, of should college athletes be compensated? I used to be, um, I used to think college athletes were paid enough with the full full scholarship and the uh, apparel side, what they get, the free flights, all this amenities that they have as a, a student athlete. But you look mm-hmm. at the other side, it was like, eh, 
what? Some of these kids, I was a student athlete for a semester at BSC, and it's nights where I used all my Jag bucks and I have nothing to eat. So I had to go <laughs> go try to knock on somebody's door, a roommate, like, hey, yo, you got some Pop-Tarts or something. So I understood um, where it was coming from. The, the universities make so, so much money yeah. um, for for football and basketball. It's time for these kids to be compensated. I know the other argument was, well, it's taken away from the NFL. Excuse me. It's not taken away from the NFL. NFL still has a market revenue that comes in every single year from football and different uh, sponsorships and uh, things they have with different uh, companies. And NCAA is no different. It's time to pay these kids. It's time. Some of these kids are coming from uh, urban areas where they don't have anything. So their only option is to go to and play sports. And then they their, their parents can't send them money. Parents can't send them money or afford to send them extra money. So it's time yeah. to pay these student athletes for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, and not just listening to hardest thing, the, just the hardest thing about being a, a collegiate athlete. Um, and and just in terms of all the responsibilities thrown at you and figuring out, you know, traveling for games of classes and then practice schedules, and just not being able to fall behind in schoolwork with with scholarship responsibilities. Um, to you, Alfred, like what's kind of the hardest aspect of this overall in terms of just all the responsibilities that you kind of have to manage on a daily and weekly basis? Exactly that. I honestly feel like you have uh, two full-time jobs and that's mm, really hard because yeah. you're a full-time athlete then you're a full-time student as well. So I think that takes a, a heavy workload to do both of those because I don't care where college you go to, uh, no college is easy. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. I, really, I really believe that. So it's always a heavy workload. There's exams, there's this. And this is all, and it's, it gets a lot harder too during your actual um, playing season. That's for all college athletes. Like for us, it was in the fall. So we're mm-hmm. traveling. So sometimes we have to mix classes. We have to make that work up. We weren't there to get actually get the notes and things. So there's a lot of hoops and hurdles, and you have to yeah. jump over to really, you know, kind of overcome that. Um, and you have to have a like, um, determination one you also need to have like a, a type of um, a system set in place that you, so that you can uh, stay 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 in the know with your classes and stuff and just the football aspect uh, me personally there's other sports it's just the practices are long they're grueling uh, they're energy consuming but it's times after practice I still had to take night classes so that and, and that's another hurdle man I, I'm trying to get yeah. again too detail specific but um, there was times <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> certain courses uh, because they conflicted with my football schedule. And I think that's one of the hardest things that people don't see. They they call us student athletes, but we're really athlete students because the athlete mm. part comes first. <clears throat> you know, they can preach all they want to and they can tell your mama this and daddy that and they can <laughs> say that. But they, I was really, literally, me and teammates were being told that we couldn't take certain classes because they conflicted with football schedule. We like, but we need that to graduate. And it's like, I don't care, figure it out. You know, so, and that's, that's, that's the hard reality that you really don't get to see um, unless you're in it. When you're on the outside looking in, you'll never see that part of it. So that was really hard, but I, I think it's two full-time jobs. And, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Uh, like Savon mentioned, I, I actually worked uh, uh, my last two, so yeah, my last two semesters, summer, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I skipped the fall, but I kind of picked back up in the spring. But I worked, so I was a full time student, full time athlete, and I was like working, you know, getting like twenty plus hours a week, which is may not seem like much, but on top of everything else I had, that was really hard. Um, and I was tired. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 
and, and there's just like a, a superhuman just aspect that, that athletes are expected to have, especially collegiate athletes in, in, in this position and, and just always expected to be on and, and always just have the right amount of energy to to accomplish everything they have to accomplish. Um, but to you, Savon, like, what do you kind of think are some of the hardest um, just aspects of, about a, a, a being a collegiate athlete? I think the, the the flag that you have, like the representation of the university, I think the university is a super front for sports. If universities or colleges didn't have sports, some of these colleges would not survive whatsoever. Even as NAIA, D3, it doesn't matter. If they didn't have sports, some of these colleges would not survive. So I think it's like the representation, like even even at South Alabama, I wasn't playing football, but I was in like the sports relations side. Some of those football players, they were held to a standard. Nobody like a regular student wasn't. They couldn't do certain things. Um, Everybody, you know, everybody was jealous of of some of the football players and what they do. But it's hard work from 5 a.m. to probably 10 p.m. every single day. You have to do something. 5 a.m., you wake up, have morning uh, workouts. Then you do uh, individual uh, meetings. Then you got to do this, do this, go to class, go to combat football practice. It's a lot of work. So yeah. I think like just like the representation you got to have as a football athlete or just a, a sports athlete in general, it's, it's hard work, especially even at a smaller school. But I mm-hmm. could imagine that Alabama or Florida or some yeah. of these big, big – uh, Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And, and not just listening to qual- the quality and state of running backs in the, in the NFL. Um, and it seems as though just running is not viewed like passing, being being the future of the league. Even while many um, our, our, our running back contracts have suffered, um, you know, they're still here. And a lot has just changed how often they're on the field, how many times they get the ball and even where they're supposed to line up. Um, but just the core traits that make a successful running back are, are still here, like elusiveness and pass catching. Um, but to you, Alfred, like, what is the quality and state of running backs now in today's league? Um, I think it's uh, kind of in the cycle. Like, uh, every position, I feel like, is a cycle. There's a certain position that's always going to quarterback, left tackle, uh, pass rusher, always going to be a premium. And then you you cycle the other guys who get paid. Um, sometimes it's wide receivers, sometimes it's DB, sometimes it's running back, sometimes it's, you know, could be a center or a nose tackle or a linebacker. So it kind of rotates to other positions. There's the big three, I like to call it, like I said, the tackle, left tackle normally, left tackle, quarterback, and um, and the pass rusher, whether that be a DN or an interior guy. Um, but I think running backs right now, it's kind of like uh, we, we're in a, a phase of devaluing because they feel like they can get a younger guy to do exactly what you're doing for cheaper. Um, and there's like a few guys who are getting premiums, but as, as a whole, I feel like the, the position has been devalued. Um, but I also feel like that it's, it's kind of eventually it's going to, the cycle is going to continue and eventually running back some of you kind of put back at the top of, of getting paid lists. And I mean, I always, I remember back in the day when Adrian Peterson, you know, had the hundred million dollar contract, there's only a matter of time before that happens again, you know, right. so it's just a cycle. But right now I do feel like the, there's a lot of talent at running back. Uh, and also there's a lot of guys right now, like some of the, the bigger name guys, like Chubb is about to come off IR now. Our IR yeah. right now, you know, got Chris Carson banged up. There's a lot of guys getting banged up. And I, I see a lot of younger guys who are stepping in and making the most of opportunities that they're given. Um, I think the the kid in um, Seattle right now is doing pretty good. I think it's uh, something Dallas. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. I don't even know I don't even know him, but he's like, he's in there and he's making plays and he's like kicking butt, you know, because some guys have went down and he's like stepped in and like made the most of the opportunity. So I do think mm-hmm. uh, we, we're doing a – 
like as a whole, the running back position is always going to be a need, whether they see value in it right away or not. Um, I also think that the, the league is about to change with what type of running backs they're looking for. Because mm-hmm. right, it's all about matchups and in, in any or in football, any level, it's all about matchups. Like how can I get matchups? When you think about the linebackers now are getting smaller and faster, they can fly sideline to sideline. That's because a lot of times they've been put on running backs, they're getting put on put on uh, tight ends, and it's a mismatch, so they were losing a lot. So it's like we need to get a higher linebacker to match up against these guys. So now you have smaller, faster linebackers, and they're keeping up with the running backs, they're keeping up with the tight ends, they they have coverage skills. So eventually. I see the the league kind of reverting back to the the old you know the Walter Payton the um those type of mm-hmm. days got these harder runners um, because right now these guys are lighter they can't really hold their weight uh, mm-hmm. up against these old linemen up against some of these harder running uh, running backs because they're lighter faster more hybrid so I feel like they, eventually these guys will, the running backs are starting to get like beefier still have elusiveness and you know vision and those those skill sets but also. They, they will be able to, you know, um, they're going to be big as they can, like, you know, lower their shoulder on the linebacker and, you know, plow through and they keep going. I think that's yeah. where it's going. It looks to be like, oh, no, they're, gonna, they're trying to make the running back another receiver. It's only for a time. Eventually it's going to revert right back to what it once was. Like I said, it's all of this is a cycle. It just goes around and goes around and goes around. And eventually yeah. that's your starting point. You start over again. You know, it's just a cycle. How long that cycle lasts, it depends, but it, it will come back. So I think that's where we're heading right now. So And eventually the running back position will be valued again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Savon, like the, the top tier quarterbacks are always mentioned, like Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, Brady, Drew Brees. All, all those guys are always mentioned. And sometimes, as Alfred was saying, that the running back position is just not at the same level of value. Um, but to you, like, what do you kind of view as just the quality and state of running backs in today's league? Ooh, like Fred said, uh, Alfred says, they're definitely devalued. And it's, and I don't understand why, because as a running back, you have to do like multiple things. You have to be a great blocker. You have to uh, read defenses real well. You have to be able to read holes. You have to catch out the backfield. You have to take the bruises inside. You have to know when. It's a lot of stuff uh, running backs have to go through. They don't get paid enough. And this is a pass happy league now. You have guys who are getting big, big bucks like Patrick Mahomes. Um, Aaron Rodgers got a contract two, three years ago. Dak Prescott, I hope he gets better. He's he was in his contract year, so and yeah. I, I do agree with Alfred said that the, the cycle is going to continue to go. At one point, offensive linemen weren't paid enough, weren't right. paid at all. So now the left tackle has a value. Wide receivers weren't paid as much. Now they, you know, so the, I do see the cycle, but I, I do think quarterbacks will always be always be the like the most important. But what about the kickers though, like? The mm. kickers don't get no love. Kowski, Justin Tucker, no love. <laughs> like I think he's still on a what a eight hundred thousand contract. I mean, all yeah. you do is kicking, but come on, like that's crazy. Kickers I mean, don't get no love. In all honesty, they don't. They don't do much. I have a lot of love for kickers. <laughs> like, like you should see them at practice. Like everybody wants to be a kicker until the game is on the line. That's mm. pressure. You know, and I get that. So I think I mean, they should be better compensated, especially when they, if you're accurate, you have a certain accuracy, if you have a certain like skill set with, with, you know, that'd be being able to positional kick, to have, you know, a whole slew of onside kicks. So there's different ways to kick an onside kick. You know, I think if you have those certain skills, you should get a premium. And I think at 800K, that's, that's a premium. A lot of guys would be like, you telling me there's a lot of guys who be a kicker, you pay more money than I am, you know, like, so that, that's a tough pill to swallow, man. So I, I remember when I was, at, you know, coming into the draft, I, I got there was a 
kicker selected in like the fourth or fifth round, and I was livid. I was like, <laughs> you know, so like, no. <laughs> but then, it's, it's a it's a serious it's serious when it's needed, but it's not needed all the time. So they can't really be paying them big bucks bucks like that, you know, uh, because they only you know that's what they kick probably like maybe. I don't know. What's what's the average? Maybe like three field goals a game or something yeah, like that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. That, but yeah. Um, so it's like when they need it, they hey, we need <laughs> you. But when they're not, they're just sitting over there, you know, swinging their legs and ride bikes and trying to stay loose. So um, I, 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 I get both. <laughs> so funny. Hey, shout out yeah. to all the kickers, though. Shout out to all hey, the kickers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, matter. Kickers matter. <laughs> Yeah, and, and just in terms of, as you were saying, Alfred, like with the running back position, for how it looks in the next 10 to 20 years, um, it's just like whenever you have a top rusher on a contending team, it it reveals kind of like that there's a ground and pound offense that that is still a plausible option in the league. Um, despite how much money the players accumulate, um, the need is still high for talented running backs in the NFL. But if you're going to get a lucrative contract, you know, you've got to be like an Ezekiel Elliott or, or Todd Gurley or Alvin Kamara. Um, but to you and just... In terms of just like how running backs, some of the running backs that you know and, and how they view just the future, um, is it more of just kind of like a, a negative outlook or maybe like a little positive that things can kind of turn around the corner for just uh, an increased value? I mean, honestly, it's not, I don't think it's something that's like really talked about around the league, <laughs> like between yeah. running backs, so to speak. Um, you kind of kind of see the kind of see what's coming on the horizon, kind of you can guesstimate, but you never really know until it's here. So, um, yeah. I know my thing is like I'm always hopeful. I'm always hopeful they'll see the value because I don't care how pass happy the league is or how you know much a quarterback is this and that. Like they still need a rushing attack. You still need yeah. a rushing attack because you cannot you cannot open your entire playbook up unless you get the run established. You know, and Tom Brady's a, a prime example of that. People are like, oh, they don't run the ball. Yes, they do run the ball. Tom Brady is is, is a he's. I don't know, he's very strategic, yes, but it's like systematic. He wants to get, like, usually on first down, they're going to run the ball because he wants mm-hmm. to set up his play action so he can attack the middle of the field. You know, like, yeah. that's that's his thing. He has to have a run game for him to be successful. Uh, I didn't watch the game last night, but I got I know he got smacked, and I can tell you <laughs> that. Yes, sir. Yo, Savon, your, your, prediction, your prediction about Tampa Bay not making it to the Super Bowl is, is looking pretty good now. <laughs> Not at all, bro. Did, did so, they have a rushing attack last night? Did they did they they run game do well? Did they? I don't think they had any attack. They didn't have anything. They, they didn't come off the bus. That's why they lost. That didn't come off the bus. They stayed in the locker room. <laughs> so that's part of his game. He needs to get the run established. So I don't get with the Mahomes or Rogers. It doesn't matter. These guys need a run game. They 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 need mm-hmm. a ground game. So that's why when. Like Savon said, we do so much. They and they ask us to do so much more, yet they're not putting more value on what they're asking us to do. They're asking us to do more, but they're taking more, like more uh, compensation from us, and that, that makes it really hard to continue to do. And that's why you get guys get frustrated or want to sit out and hold out and things like that. Was like I'm doing too much. Like I'm account for a, a majority percentage of the production on offense. Like I need to be compensated, like you know, justly. And sometimes they they call you bluff and they be like, well, we find somebody younger to do it, you know. And that's that's hard. That's where it's really stick, you know. So, um, but I, I'm 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 always hopeful. I'm hopeful whether it's now or this, you know, 10, 20 years down the road, you know, we we as players we get so many benefits from so many guys who fought for us, who them themselves did not get receive those benefits, but they fought for 
the guys who were coming after them. And I want to do the same. You know, if I can help fight in any way, shape, or form for the not only just the running backs, but all the players who come after us, you know, kind of like I think that's that's a win. You know, whether I get it or not, that's okay. Like I'm thankful that I'll be able to like help better the league for the guys who are coming. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I mean, when you look at just the evolution of, of the league and, you know, being it being more of pass happy offenses and things like that, Savon, to you, just how do you think even for the future for running backs, just as, as Alfred w- uh, was saying, having a, a hopeful outlook will kind of pan out for, for running backs uh, 10 to 20 years down the road? See, I see the cycle, but I don't I don't know if I believe in the cycle as of yet. I think that the league continues to go to this continue this pass happy, whatever they got going on. College coaches transition into the NFL, switching everything up. Everybody wants to pass, pass, pass 75% of the time. But what Alfred said, you have to establish a running game. Tom Brady is, an, is, is definitely one of them. Uh, Drew Brees is another guy, especially in his later years. The running game has to work for them for him to be successful or the Saints to be successful. But I want to believe in the cycle. I think running backs are still going to be over – Overly worked, but undercompensated. And I don't think uh, a running back right now is going to change that. Not even Ezekiel Elliott, not even uh, Todd Gurley. I know they got a sort of kind of big contract, but I don't think it's any running back, not even in college or in the NFL right now, can can change the status quo. But I, I don't know, man. It's, it's kind of up in here. I think this, the, the air raid is still going to uh, take over um, the NFL for sure in the next 10 to 20 years especially if the quarterback is still the highest yeah, the highest commodity of NFL or football in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, listening to, to just the, 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 our kind of list of the top five running backs in the league uh, present, um, Savon, did, was this, did, did this have to be in order or, or was it just? Uh, any... It doesn't have to be in order. I, I mm. thought about all time, but I was like, ah, that's, yeah, that's extremely that's hard. Extremely yeah. hard to do. So I was like, let's do present time. Yeah, present. It, it does not have to be in order. Unless you guys want to take a crack at it and the bet, <laughs> top five of all time. Uh, Matter of fact, man, let's do that. Let's do the top five of all time. All I know this time, kind of like man. all the like- time. I feel like we do that. None of the like none of the modern day running backs are gonna make that. <laughs> That's league. the thing. Yeah, maybe one, maybe one. Adrian Adrian Peterson is definitely my five. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna just tell you, like I think Adrian Peterson is a heck of a running back, but I think his vision is zero. I think he can. <laughs> man, go look at his film. Like, Adrian Peterson is really strong. He's really explosive, and he can miss a hole, and he'll go run through two dudes and make his own hole. And it's like, well, you could have made it a lot easier if you just looked slightly to your right. There was a gap right there. You know, I, I'm being a super extreme and zero. It's not zero, but his vision is not like I don't think his vision is that much higher than, you- like, say a Trent Richardson. I know a lot of people give him crap about mm. it. Yeah, I would Ooh, put yeah. him and Adrian Peterson in the same boat. So. Is it like was it like early AP or like late? I I beat my kid now I'm back in the NFL. No, no, I think it was like all AP. Like, I, <laughs> but like some of those plays, coach scheme, like it's like you don't really have to read it out. And I think some of the maybe maybe it's because of some of the early offenses he ran that like it was kind of set up for him to go a certain way. So he never he kind of didn't have to like use his vision as much, you know? Oh. Um, so I think maybe, you know, sometimes if you don't use it, it's not as sharp. So even when it's like really easy and set up, you know, like you still have to like utilize your skills. And that's something I'm I'm even working on now to be more mindful of, to make sure, not, not vision, I've always 
uh, feel like I have really good vision. But mine's more so is uh, like keeping my eyes on my reads or keeping my eyes on uh, when men throwing passes. Because sometimes you get so worried about what's coming that you take your, your eyes off the ball at the last second, and then that's what drops come. But just to be able to train your eyes and to know and have faith in your ability to be like, I know I can look this ball in and snap my head around fast enough to protect myself from a linebacker or a DB, somebody's flying downhill to, to come and hit me. Um, same thing with just, you know, reading holes. Like I know that I can receive this ball, read the, read the defender if it's the linebacker, it's the first you know down deep, first down D lineman to make sure that I read them and read it honest and not just prematurely say, "Oh, I'm a bouncer thing." No matter what happens, and that's where you find yourself in trouble. But just being true to to your rules, true to you know your skill set, I think that like can help a lot. And just slowing down. But anyway, I don't even know how I got there, but I got there. So. <laughs> I wouldn't put him in my top five, but he's definitely in my top 10. AP is a beast, man. Like, so you, so you telling yeah. me he's a, like a Nick Cannon, like cause Nick Cannon in drumline could not read music, Ooh. but he know how to beat the drum. <laughs> yep. yeah, 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 yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> oh, that wow. was a nice analogy. <laughs> hey, look, I got at least one in me each <laughs> Who wants to take a crack at it first? Uh, top five, ever. top five, top five. Ever. Top five ever. ever. I'm going ever. Barry Sanders. Ooh, that's a good one. Jim Brown. Ah, that's another Emmett one. Smith. Ooh, okay. Eric Dickerson right. and Walter Payton. Uh, oh, that's a nice five. That's a nice five. That's a nice five. Dang, I, mean, I can't even follow that one. I don't even want to follow it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was Jeez good. Oh, uh, man. Uh, I guess I'll go. Uh, Barry Sanders, number one. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's tough. Um, uh, uh, Sayers from uh, Gale. uh, yeah, yeah, from uh, what is he? Yeah, Chicago. Um, nah, y'all gonna laugh at me when I say this, but he's one of my favorite running back. But he's really wasn't that really good. Dorsey Elevens. Hey, I like Dorsey Elevens. I mean, not five, but. Hey, I'm trying to not to use Wellington's. Uh, Dorothy Eleven. Adrian Peterson. Uh, definitely. Like I, I used to like uh, Adrian Peterson. Well, I still do. I think he's a good running back. Besides his vision. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, I had to go watch the field but see, like, yo, you missed that hole <laughs> and ran in your face into another person's face. Like, what you doing? Like, uh, uh, geez, who's who's number five? I already said Barry Sanders. Uh, geez. Um, I'm gonna go with Eric Dickerson. I, I'm just gonna okay. choose yeah, Eric Dickerson. Yeah, that's my five. Ooh, that's a terrible five. That's a terrible five. <laughs> I mean, it's like you didn't have time to prepare for it. I'm kind of like, we're okay. All right, I'm gonna do my. All right, you ready for this? Let me. All right, my number one yeah. will be Devin Hester. <laughs> Wait, no, what? I'm Devin Hester. <laughs> yeah. <Whoa. laughs> Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I could. I could. All right. No, my my favorite my favorite player, not just running back of all time, is Walter Payton. So Walter Payton gonna be my number one. I, I love Walter Payton. Sweetness, man. That's that's gonna be my number one. Then Barry Sanders. Oh, Barry Sanders. I I still believe that if Barry Sanders was on a different team, that he would be the all time leading rusher of the NFL. Uh, and he still had juice. I just feel like he kind of like 
was like, man, I'm tired. Like, I'm tired of losing. It's hard to continue to do that and lose. But who, whoever knows unless we ever talk to him. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So, okay, I got Walter. I got Barry. Um, hmm, I go Jim Brown, too. Jim Brown is, is nice. I'm in a different era, but love Jim Brown. Uh, great runner. Great. I mean, he, I feel like he had it all. Most of the running backs back in the day, I feel like he had it all. So, yeah. uh, I got two more. Let's see. Uh, um, who else would I go with? You meant nah, nah, nah. It's one player I think I know you're gonna say. Who that? Oh. Earl Campbell. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like Earl. I forgot I mean, about Bo Jackson. Oh, I was thinking Bo, but Earl, Earl is. I did. I put him in for it because uh, I mean I just love the way he ran. Man, I feel like yeah, I'm, I'm kind of skewed to those guys. I feel like I run similar ways. Like every play is my last play, and I feel like so many of the guys that was it for them. It was like this is my last play. I'm giving this played my all so definitely Earl and then um yeah I throw Bo in there Bo was just a, a freak athlete man I think he still yeah, he is was. um I think he just he just destroyed people <laughs> and he played yes, sports. So I just think he was like like it was hard to like scheme for him because he was you know he was that big of a threat um no matter what he's running the ball catching the ball uh, I think he was just all around back so that'll be my five if I was we didn't mention skill. we didn't mention one player he killed on the field and he killed off the field. Oh, Jack. <laughs> OJ, baby. OJ. Yes, sir. Top five, top five. The juice. OJ Simpson. Gosh, was he's a great running back. He killed, though. Yeah, he definitely he killed. <laughs> good running back. I think Dave Chappelle said something about that. It is comedy sketch or whatever. That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, and not listening to just how faith in football um, it can mix um, to you effort. I mean, obviously you're, you're an outspoken Christian and in a league where sometimes things are just can't be as vocal or can't be as publicized um, to you and your journey and just, you know, being in a position like the NFL where there's just so many different, um, you know, maybe varying, varying opinions. Uh, what has kind of like been the journey for you with just mixing faith and football? Um, it's been a journey. Like you said, uh, I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I've matured a lot and a lot of facets, especially with my walk with Christ. Uh, I, I do believe that God desires for us as believers to intertwine uh, uh, our, our faith into every sector of this world, whether that be business, whether that be sports and entertainment, whether that be food industry, no matter what it is, um, I feel like he, that's his desire to have his his children in every sector so that we can do the Great Commission to make disciples, you know, of all nations. Uh, I was also to make disciples of all sectors, <laughs> you know, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's de- definitely been challenging uh, just with my personality. I'm not really... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a joy to be around. I love having fun. I, you know, I ha-ha, kiki. Um, but when it comes to my faith, I wasn't always very vocal about it. Not that I was ashamed. I, I really kind of, my mantra was like, I'm, I'm going to live by example. Like, I'm going to be an example. I don't have to speak it. Like, you should be able to see it in my life. And as my, my journey has uh, gone in and fell, um, I've become more and more vocal. Um, uh, after my third year in the field, I, the Lord, uh, kind of made a comment to me just in my quiet time with them. He's just like, everything you've done so far in your career has been you. And I was like, no, Lord, it hasn't. It's, it's been you. You've been always, he's like, no, it's been you. He's like, but give me your career and watch what I do with it. So I was like, okay, have it. I didn't really count the cost of what that, what that meant. <laughs> I did not count the cost. And I've, 
ever since then, I've been on this journey and it's been crazy. So, and the Lord has just been pruning me. He's been stripping me. He's been um, refining me. And after once in, in that process, he's also been equipping me. He's also been, you know, um, setting me free from a lot of things. He's uh, been encouraging me and um, building me up so that I can. So when I went to San Fran, I found my voice, so to speak. I was able to, I, I got a little more vocal and I would not really call guys out, but I was, I was like, hey, like, you know, you're a married guy with children. Why are you um, looking at DMs of this younger guy? He's like, you know what? I'm just, ain't no harmless. I'm just window shopping. I'm like, that's a problem. You know, <laughs> that is a problem. Yeah. Right there. Because before you know it, you, you window shopping. Now, before you know it, you're going to stop and stare. You're going to keep staring in that window. And before you know it, you're going to walk into that store. And then you're going to start browsing. And before you know it, you're going to start buying. You're going to buy something. And before you know it, you're going to buy something else. And by the time you walk out of it, you're going to have bags full of stuff. And you're like, man, like, how did I get here? And it's like, that, like, and he was like, no, I know when enough is enough. And I was like, go ask the attic on the corner if they knew what enough was enough. You know, I was able to find my voice and be like firm. And like, like, you can't fool yourself to think that you you can be um, your, your own whistleblower, so to speak. Like, you need somebody. So I was able to do that. And, you know, I found my voice. And as I go, I, I learned how to not just be a light, but to 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 witness to guys and to disciple them, so to speak. Um, and that's just been a process of the Lord, you know, what he's been doing in my life and then I, I'm able to reciprocate that into the lives mm -hmm. of the guys and now more than ever uh, I can I see the bigger picture you know I was when I played football yeah I was like oh to God be the glory da 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 but at the same time you know I, I was narrow mind I was just thinking about stats like and this is not really stats but just playing the game that I love it's like it's football 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 but there's so many guys that are around me who need love there's so many guys who need a witness there's so many guys who need you know uh, just an ear to listen to them to say like man I can empathize with what you're going through right now you know and not only just the guys but those guys have kids those guys have wives and girlfriends so by pouring into these guys now seeing the bigger picture now more than ever yeah. I've been loving on so many guys now that I'm with the Giants because just all I've been through the Lord has been preparing me for a time such as this so I'm thankful right. like I went through all that it's, it was hard and like I, I'm gonna tell that story uh, eventually, but like this is where I'm at now, which is part of God's faithfulness. And so where I'm at, I was just really loving on these guys, and I know in turn by me loving on them that they will overflow into their wives and girlfriends' lives. They'll overflow into their kids' lives. That it make them better and by them becoming better to make everyone around them better. And I, I do believe that if men, if we learn how to love each other better, if we learn how to 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 be real men, that this world will become a better place. Um, I, that's, that's my heart. And so I'm like, yeah. well, let me pour into these guys. Like, Lord, speak through me. Let me encounter these guys, you know, like, let me be a vessel so you can encounter them. So I do believe, long story short, to bring it back, that, that mm -hmm. you can intertwine faith in football. You know, it's, it's been done so many ways it's, it's, and it's needed. Like, faith needs to, it's needed in every single sector of our lives, you know, uh, every single sector in this world, whether you believe or not, like, we, it's innate. It's in us that there is a there's a, a, a there's there's a God. Even if you don't call him God, yeah. you're like oh the universe, oh your your energy. And it's like no, that's the Lord. Like that that is the Lord. Yeah. So and I I think that's important for everyone to have. Like I, I don't think anyone really can say that uh, with all honesty that there is no God. That we were just created just to be created, and that life goes on, we die, and we reincarnate, or life goes on, we die, and that's it. Like. That makes no sense why were we created then, you know. So um just mm. feeling that love, just just being the love that people 
or I've heard it said this before, I'm sure y'all have as well, that like you may be the only Bible that someone ever used to read. So like I want to be yeah. salt and light. And that's, oh, that's so I kind of took so, up, I've kind of taken up that like that that calling to be like, Lord, I want to be salt and light. I'm, I want to see the bigger picture, not just ball, but the people. Because I don't think God cares about football. I really don't. I, but it's the people involved in this sector that he has tasked me with in a sense. Like this, this is my mission field. Like I'm, we all missionaries. I'm, this is my mission field, and I'm going to love these guys rightly. Now that I've been through what I've been through, now that I'm in a place that I can, you know, because of just the, the refining process the Lord has been taking me through. So it's been hard, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so, I mean, like faith is obviously such a, an important component in any aspect that, that you're in. Um, but to you, just kind of like from your perspective, how, how do you think it, it can even mix with, with a profession like football? Um, that's, that's interesting. I think football, well, faith in football is definitely something that has been taught with us. We, we say the Lord's prayer before practice, after practice, before games, after games, I think it's something that should, is has been implemented before time. And I think it should still be implemented. Faith in football does mix because some days you just want to quit. And I, I think what, what I agree with Alfred, I don't think God cares about football at all. <laughs> Like, it's the least of his worries right now. He doesn't have worries, but like, yeah, let me let me worry about football real quick. No, nah. but I think it does bring like it, just like with football or any sports, it brings what uh, commodity. Kalu, I said that role all role. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yo, you weren't on last week. You weren't on the podcast last week. You've been low. Oh, <laughs> I'm just gonna skip over that word. Uh, uh, it brings teamwork. Let's. Oh, that's a better word. <laughs> <laughs> teamwork yeah teamwork i think uh my faith kind of grew when i when i was playing football and you just you just see uh what god does and you know what he lets you um we allow him to do in sports but for nfl man these grown dudes we have like fred said i it's stories i've heard from my mentor and, and other people that's uh that's in public relation. These guys do not care. They say they're Christians, but then they just wild out. But I don't know. I do think football and faith mix well because it keeps you grounded. It keeps you humble, even when you don't think you're humble or when you think you're humble, but it humbles you for real. Like, it, I don't know. It, that, that's what faith does. And I yeah. think uh, Fred's friend said it was like, um, um, I didn't, what is it? He, I didn't tell you where you were sown. Whoa, uh, Fred, you remember the, the quote? Yeah. Uh, like I, uh, I didn't say, oh, he said, I say you were, well, hold on, let me think about it. I mean, I butcher this. Oh, oh yeah. I, I, yo, you got it. You got it. Go ahead. God said, I told you to reap what you sow, but I didn't say you will reap where you sown. Mm. So that always fought, like, I, oh, that's his name is Ben Rutledge, yeah, right? Yeah, Ben. Yeah, Ben Rutledge. So uh, I always uh, have that in the back of my head. I was like, yo, that's so dope. And that's football one-on-one. Because you go to different states, you meet different people all the time. And it's just like, now, like what Alfred said, that he had the opportunity to speak more and be more verbal and be confident. I think what, he was like, was it Moses? Moses was like, oh, God, I can't speak. Oh, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not equipped to do this. Yeah, he's like, okay, I'm going to get you right. Let me see. I'm going to get you right. So I think it just all ties in together. For sure, it ties in together. Football and any other sports face should be just implemented, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our record Ralph review.
Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Wreck-It Ralph review. And to start with the overview, Wreck-It Ralph is a 2012 American 3D computer animated comedy film produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios and released by Walt Disney Pictures. Um, it is the 52nd Disney animated feature film. It was directed by Rich Moore in his directorial um, debut. Also directed episodes of The Simpsons, The Critic, and Futurama. And the screenplay was written by Phil Johnskin and Jennifer Lee from a story by Moore, Johnson, and Jim Reardon. Um, the film features the voices of John C. Riley, Sarah Silverman, Jack McBrayer, and Jane Lynch. Um, and this tells the story of um, the eponymous uh, arcade game villain who uh, rebels against his bad guy role and dreams of becoming a hero. Um, it had a budget of $165 million and brought in $471.2 million in the box office at an 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And this was just an overall critical and commercial success. Um, it won the Annie Award for Best Animated Fe- Feature as well as receiving nominations for the Golden Globe and Academy Award for Best Animated Feature. Um, but to, to, to you, Alfred, like, what were kind of your initial thoughts of this film as it was a clever one? And, and when you base movies off of a, a video games, the careful and unique story created um, was, you know, they were able to pull it off and it was and it was really accurate. I mean, I think they did a great job. The creativity alone was amazing. Just how, like, just going through the power core was like they were trained to get from game to game. And Central Station was the, you know, like the strip outlet. I thought they did a really good job with that and integrating, you know, old games, some like actual games and some made up games uh, or similar to the ones we play now. Uh, I think the creativity was amazing. They had a great storyline, good character development. So, I mean, I, I love a good story. So I was, uh, I definitely. I didn't know what I what I was getting into when I actually watched the movie, but once I watched, it, I'm like, dang, this they did a really good job. Really with this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Savon, so you kind of like what were your your initial thoughts of this one? As it really was, as Alfred was saying, a, a creative, uh, creative type of film. Well, I don't, I didn't remember the game per se, like the Fix It Felix. I don't think I ever played it. That was before my time, game arcade type thing. I don't remember. Uh, but when the first watched it, I was like, yo, this is this is pretty funny. This is pretty dope. It gives you that other side of uh uh with the well, I guess the villain, the bad guy, how they really the the circle, <laughs> the circle, <Yeah. laughs> the little watch off AA meeting, whatever you want to call it. That was really funny. Um yeah. I just thought they they picked the right moments to be like extremely hilarious and then it just let everything flow the way it should. But now nah, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, this is this is legit. This might be up there with the uh, Lion King and all Some of those the best. other greats. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And interesting to our ter- first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I-, I would give it four as this was just pure enjoyment from start to finish. And with it having um, such a phenomenal ending, it's clear why this film um, had a sequel. And it's right up there for the conversation as one of the best animated movies ever. Um, to you, Alfred, from one to four stars, what would you give it? Oh, for sure, four. That's, that's yeah. definitely one of my top. So four, all the way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, Savon, in your in your um perspective, kind of like from one to four stars, what would you give it and why? You know, I just gave a high praise. I'm gonna give it two stars. Not joking. I'm gonna give it four stars. There you go. If it was a Christopher Nolan film, you would have given it three. <laughs> three and a half, three and a half. No, it's definitely a four stars, man. Uh from the cast members to just like the production, the animation, everything just went smooth. Yeah, four stars for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and now interesting to favorite character. Um, for me, it was Vanellope as this was such an awesome character as she was meant to be kind of an inspiration, but also being an outcast and glitch um, didn't stop her from being a, a determinator. But to you, Alfred, um, overall in this movie, who was kind of like your favorite character? Man, uh, Vanellope uh, is hard, but I, I'm going to have to go with Rick and Ralph, man. I, I don't know. I'm a I'm a sucker for just redemption stories. And I feel like to me, this was a redemption story of him wanting to change his outlook. And he did in a, in a way, he still was a bad guy, but 
he made a great friend and made such a great impression on like a young girl in Vanellope Funk Suite. So uh, I, I'm gonna have to go with Rick and Ralph on this one, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Savon, who was kind of your favorite character? I like King Candy for some dumb reason. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He was just like quirky. He was like, he was so fake. <laughs> he was so fake in front of everybody. He was like, yo, you got to go, bro. You got to, uh, you messing stuff up. But no, nah, I like King Candy. He was uh, one of those normal uh, politicians, I guess. <laughs> just, yeah. Fake That's on the good. outside. I <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and now listening to, to most memorable scenes, I had um, Ralph's introduction, um, the, the bad Annan clip, um, sure must be nice being the good guy, welcome to Game Central, um, the Game Central station clip, and also the celebration party. Um, but to you, Alfred, like, what was kind of your overall most memorable scene of this film? Man, my most memorable scene was when he, uh, before the Mentos, when he was falling from the sky, he clutched his little, his, uh, his uh, not trophy, his uh, med- medallion that Vanellope made him, and and he kind of reciting the, the bad guys. Uh, I forget what they call it, anthem or uh, when they're in a circle. He's like, I'm a bad guy, but that doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. You know, as he's falling down yeah. and he's doing this sacrificial mm-hmm. thing for, for Vanellope and everyone else. So I thought that was really cool. It definitely pulled on the heartstrings a little bit. I didn't cry, but I thought about it. Like, <laughs> oh, man. What a comic <laughs> movie. Like, <laughs> so that's probably one of my, one of my favorite. And I also like... Uh, how they like mix other creative things like the the devil dolls with like devil food cakes <laughs> and yeah, the Oreo Oreo Oreo. I thought that was really clever. They did a really good job with that. That's dope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Savon, so you kind of like what was your most memorable scene overall? I think when he tried to slide in with the village people, or whatever, and it was like, "Yo, <laughs> Rick and Ralph is out there." And you, she saw the caves like, and they try to dance. Why everybody dancing like that for sure? For sure, like what was going on? And then uh, he smashed the cake, and everybody was like, "Hey, bro, you gotta go." I don't know where you gotta go, but you gotta go. I think that was a good scene to set up. Like he was trying to be the good guy, and then just didn't pan out. They just didn't see him as a good guy. So yeah, I guess it was like pull at the heartstrings, you know, redemption story. Cause he was trying to be a good guy, but he just do bad things. Just big dude. And he's big too. So I like, you know, relate to him. Cause I just step on stuff and break it without even noticing it. And I didn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and transitioning to some most memorable quotes. Um, I had, if, if that little kid likes me, how bad can I be? I'm bad and that's good from Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I can fix it. Why do I fix everything I touch from Fix It Felix? I'm already happy. I got the coolest friend in the world. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. Sometimes I think manager must uh, be nice being the good guy. I'm a wrecker, not a baker. There's no one I'd rather be than me. Um, so, so you offer like, what was kind of your most memorable quote? For, oh my from this goodness, movie? you got all the good ones. Like, <laughs> 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 that, I mean, that whole speech coming down, like I, 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 it's been a while since I watched it, so I don't know what verbatim right now off the top of my head, but like, um, I'm, I'm really big, like one of the quotes you said, I'm really big on just, I can only be, I'm, I'm great at being me. So that really like, Touched me too, you know. Like I, I, I want to be me because that's who that's who I am, and I can't pretend to be someone I'm not. Uh, cautious, with, uh, but like I said, I can't. Like you got all the good ones, so I'm not even gonna try to add to it. <laughs> you like, boom, I thought you would be one. You like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Savon, see you kind of like what was your most memorable quote um, from from this particular film? I'm gonna go with King Candy when he first saw Wreck and Ralph. I'm gonna read it because I'm on IDMB, whatever the thing is. He said, "Milk." Milk my duds. <laughs> it's wrecking Ralph. He was like, yeah, who are you? The guy that makes the donuts? He was like, oh, please, though. I'm King Candy. I said, 
I see you're a fan of pink salmon, salmon. It's obviously, what, what are you doing here? Like that whole scene, like, yo, you disrespect me already coming <laughs> into welcome. It's salmon, yeah. cuz. I thought that was really funny. He was like, yeah. milk my duds. <laughs> But now transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, just how this was a smart, fun, and robustly structured movie that made viewers heavily invested in its characters and their worlds, which was just a really fascinating element. Um, but to you, Alfred, like, kind of like, what did you like the most about this particular storyline? Uh, the flow of Wreck-It Ralph really just, uh, just like I said, I feel like it's a redemption story. So I'm a sucker for that type of stuff. Because um, I feel like so many people can be outcasts and so many people can be, um, like like Savon, one of the scenes when he went to the, the penthouse and he was trying to be good and like he's just big. He was just, he wasn't doing it on purpose, but because he was a bad guy, they were kind of taking what he was doing and, and misconstruing it and, and making it into something that was it wasn't his intention. So, uh, so just how they like develop Ralph and just kind of, kind of like you said, tied you into the character of not only just Ralph, but also Vanellope tied you into them. And you like so invested that you like, you want to see him like, I want to see him do good, you know, and just, uh, and he had a chance at the end to kind of sacrifice himself. And of course, Vanellope came and saved him. I think they did a really good job of like storytelling and yeah. um, even when they like kind of got into it and, and he broke the cookie and I'm doing this for your own good. And um, then he goes back and he sees this and he goes, anyway, so it's just, I think he did a really good job of like, like kind of give you that cookie crumb and, but it, and it kind of did still had a surprise. You kind of know what was going, but it still surprised you at the end. So I thought he did a really good job with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what in particular about this storyline did you like the most? I think how they pinned two outcasts together, um, one was a glitch, one was just like a dude who just destroyed everything. I think you you come in life and you meet people that you never thought you would like relate to or connect with, and it becomes your family. That's all that's the whole thing he wanted. He wanted to be loved, he wanted a family, he wanted to be a part of something, and he created his own family. And you see that in Wreck Ralph too, how she started doing her own thing and he got jealous of it. So like he, he just want that family aspect of everything. I think that was really dope. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and from the main character, John C. Riley, I mean, he's also the first actor in 60 years to have been involved in three different Best Picture nominees in the same year, um, starting in Chicago, Gangs of New York, and The Hours. And it's just a major testament to his credentials as not just um, a performer, but also a collaborator. But audiences want to see more of him. And um, <clears throat> he's been able to be in his element, even in an animated film like this. Um, but to you, Alfred, like just when an actor can do something like that, be in you know, critically acclaimed films, but also a film like this, uh, kind of like just what are your thoughts on that and what stands out to you from an actor kind of being able to to have that type of range? I mean, I love his range. I think it's very impressive when they can, you know, genre hop. And uh, I mean, I, I remember watching him do, I can't think of the name of the show, but on Dope Swim, when he was like the weird guy with the hair. Yeah. <laughs> He's so weird and and just, he's just funny and it works. And like, like you say, he's able to be himself even on Wreck-It Ralph, you know, so... I mean, he's funny, he's serious, and I, I feel like when you see guys who have range like that, it's very impressive because not everyone can do that. A lot of people can get stuck in a genre. Oh, you're the funny guy, like, you know, like Kevin Hart, he's always doing funny stuff, even though he was able to do Upside and it was yeah. a little more serious. 
previous, you know, things mm-hmm. like that, which I thought was really cool. But so many guys get stuck in a role and it's like you only can be like cast for this role because that's how people see you. But when they can jump mm-hmm. out of that, I think another one doing a good job of that is James Franco because he can be stupid. Yeah. Silly, yes. Really yeah. I think he does a really good job of like genre hopping. Um, and it's like, it's not like, oh, that was just an okay movie. It's like, no, that was a really good movie. You know, they did a really good job um, with that. So I think it's very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, Savon, to you, kind of like, what are your your thoughts on John Riley as just a prolific actor and just how special he's been able to be in the past and even now? Ooh, his career has led up to some some good ones. I think I first saw him in um, Anger Management when he was the monk, <laughs> and uh, Adam Sandler had to go see him, and they would start fighting and stuff. I think that's the first movie I remember him being in. I was like, yo, who's this dude? Um, but yeah, he's played in some other films. Step Brothers is another good one. I love Gangs of New York. He played a good role in Gangs of New York. Um, but he, uh, his range is really good for supported cast to being the main actor, the main uh, you know attraction to the movie. I think he does a really good job. Now I do want to play. I want to see him play a more like serious, serious, serious role. type of role. Yeah. yeah. So like a, a dramatic. I mean, he plays supporting. I want him to be like the. But his face is kind of fugly. So I don't think they want him to be the different. Like I could see him like playing a dramatic role. He has to go like shave his head like Vince Vaughn did. Yeah, when just, he played like a, a go home. A, a I can't take it home. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Vince Vaughn, yeah, uh, another one. Yeah, for sure. Um, but transitioning to our last topic, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? Um, for me, I definitely think it will. As um. Even though the visuals stand out and the action is quick and memorable, the most impressive accomplishment is just really that how every subplot is put together with the central story and, and them not losing the viewer's attention. Every detail, character, and joke is just never a wasted one. Um, but to you, Alfred, like 10 years from now, um, what do you think will kind of make this a, a, a still watchable and intriguing type of film? I mean, like, just because it is. I mean, it's almost 10 years now we're talking about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think I just, like you said, just everything from the character development to the plot to how they keep you engaged the entire time. Like, as you mentioned, I think I think it's just a really good movie. It's always one of my go-to. I actually rather watch Wreck-It Ralph 1. Wreck-It Ralph 2 is like, yeah, it's okay. You know, I wouldn't give that a four shot, but... Man, this one was just it's, it's so memorable, and it's just like I, I love Vanilla Pippin Sweets is my favorite Disney princess. How about that? You know, so like I like I'm invested in her character, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, as well as uh, John C. Riley's character, Ricky Ralph. So I enjoyed it. So, but yeah, man, so I, I'm definitely gonna be watching this. Like I'm gonna be watching this with my grandkids one day. Let me show you some of these old movies, and I'm gonna show you the <laughs> old, 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 old movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, but but uh, to you, Savon, to close it out, um, what do you kind of think in particular will still make this a watchable, intriguing film uh, even another decade from now? Word of mouth, man. And then it has a sequel. So that's yeah. if, it, if it gets a sequel, it has to it had to do numbers or it had to be good in some way, shape, or form to get a sequel. So and I think there's, sometimes when you do get a sequel, it kind of messes up the first one. It's like, why did you do it? But Wreck-It Ralph Two was even better, in my opinion. I thought I think it was really good. Mm. Yeah, mm. I, I think it was. I think it was good. I don't know. I, I, you, okay, mm, okay. I guess y'all don't think so. that's not a judgment. I mean, I just I enjoyed the first one. Yeah, I just Probably think the first one was just so was so much better. Yeah, of yeah. course, it's hard to like, but I think the record. I, think, I do think that yeah, the, the number the second one was really good. It did lead up, lead 
live up to expectations. Yeah, like you said, usually the you know any sequel or prequel they usually you know crap compared to the first one. But right. I would I didn't I wouldn't say it was a flop, not at all. It was it was a good movie, but if I had to pick one, I would always I would pick the first one. But that's, yeah. I, I mean I yeah. like that you picked the second one. So, um, but yeah, so. Well, Alfred, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this first time, and just just, just thanking you so much for being gracious with your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. We have to do this again sometime. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winter Burns, and my counterpart, Savon Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>